Welcome to Done With Debauchery, a sobriety and wellness podcast where you'll hear honest experiences about navigating life and relationships without alcohol, how to pursue your own personal wellness journey, and share intimate conversations with special guests. I'm your host, Keisha Scott. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Done With Debauchery. I am recording this at the end of Easter weekend. It was a beautiful long weekend here in Toronto. The sun was shining. I was out and about with my dog, Peach, walking all over the city. And I just feel like I had such a nice weekend. Usually for the holidays, any kind of holiday, I would try to be with my family, but since they live in Winnipeg and I recently started a new job, it wasn't possible for me to go back. To be honest, it wasn't even really on my radar that Easter was coming up. It just sort of happened and it was here and I didn't have any plans, so I took advantage of the free time and connected with some girlfriends who I hadn't seen in probably like six weeks. And these are some of my best friends. Since I had the wedding a month ago, I felt like I was just like scrambling to get back into routine. Then I got sick. So I just wasn't really making an effort to connect with my friends in a way that I probably should have been. So over the weekend, I got to see two girlfriends who I hadn't seen in so long. And it was so nice. I had so much fun. And it just really reminded me how important it is to prioritize things like seeing your friends. I find I get so comfortable in my routine of going to work, being at home. I'm taking a course in the evening and it's just so much easier to not do all of those extra things that take up energy and space. But I realized at even just at the end of the first hangout that I had with one of my friends, how much spending time with the people you love really fills you up. I was on a high like all weekend and it was truly from spending time with my girlfriends, getting out of the apartment and being in the sunshine. So if you're going through a phase where you're feeling a little unmotivated to make the effort to have those connections, I would highly encourage you to do it. On top of connecting with my girlfriends this previous weekend, the weekend before that, I hosted another Sober Girls get-together in Toronto, and just like all the ones before, it was so much fun. I feel like we're getting to a point where we kind of have a group of girls who are consistently showing up, making an effort to connect with each other, and every time we have an event, there are new faces and new women that come. And it's just such an interesting dynamic. Never when I was drinking would I be hosting a party for random girls that I met on Instagram. But because we're all tied together with sobriety, we already have such a strong bond that when a new woman is showing up for the first time to one of these events, she's not a stranger. Everyone literally jumps up, gives her a hug at the door, And like that person is now part of the group. So it's been such an amazing experience 
sort of building this community of these amazing sober women that are all just looking for the same thing. We're all just looking for connection. We're looking for some kind of fun to be had without involving alcohol. And I'm so happy to say that like we are creating it. So if you're a sober girl in Toronto, if you're interested in coming to any of the future events, get in my DMs. It's at done with debauchery on Instagram, and I'd be happy to add you to the list. We do have some plans coming up for things that we're going to be doing uh, over the next couple months and into the summer. So we would love to meet you. This week is going to be part one of a two-part episode. When we originally recorded this, we weren't intending it to be a two-parter, but as we got going, the conversation just kept going and going that I thought it would be better instead of giving you an hour-long episode, I'm going to split it up into two parts. You'll get part one this week, and then next week you'll be getting part two. So Instead of every other week like I've been doing, you're going to get episodes back to back this week and next week. My guest on the show is Nadine Malvina. You've heard her voice before. She is my fellow sober girl, the host of the Sober Butterfly podcast, and probably my first sober friend that I've really made through Instagram. We have such a fun conversation. Nadine tells us the background of how she started drinking, what her relationship with alcohol evolved to, how she knew that her relationship with alcohol was really this dangerous relationship that was blossoming. She talks about dealing with trauma, seeking control over something in her life, and she shares some stories about what I would call her emotional rock bottom moments that ultimately led her to removing alcohol from her life. I think you're going to love the episode. We had so much fun recording it. It's a wild ride. So let's get into it. Welcome to Done With Debauchery. Thanks for having me. It feels great to be here, first of all, can I say that? But also weird because the last time we did this was A, in person. It was like, I felt like it was like, even though it was like a feature in each other's episode, I felt like it was like a joint show. Like it was like, we have a crossover episode and now I get to like have you interview me, which is great. So I'm just happy to see you. (laughs) And I also feel weird being on this side, but. Thank no, you for it's having perfect. me. Perfect. Thank you for agreeing to do this. And it just felt like the natural next step because we've actually had two episodes that we've done together. Both I thought were amazing, but I yep. thought it would be amazing to get a little bit more information about who you are, your sobriety story. I know the listeners are dying to hear it. I'm ready to talk about it. Thank you. <laughs> So do you want to maybe just start off, tell me who you are, where you are, maybe share a little bit about your life before you removed alcohol? Yeah. Um, Okay, let me start from the beginning. Uh, Okay, so my name is Nadine Movina. 
I have a sober platform platform called The Sober Butterfly. I have a podcast, as you mentioned, Keisha, we have two episodes, quick plug for sober <laughs> celebs and taboo topics in sobriety. Those were honestly one of my favorite episodes that we shot like in my first season. So thank you for being a part of that. And we my had pleasure. such a great flow. Um, in terms of like who I am, um, I'm based in New York. I identify as being an alcoholic. I've struggled with this term back and forth. Like I was like, am I or was I a great area drinker? Well, we know alcohol use disorder is a spectrum and I've fallen at various points on the spectrum at various points in my life. But I think all in all, just like the relationship I had with alcohol was very addictive. Um, my personality can be addictive. The substance is highly addictive. And so put those two together, I was an alcoholic. Um, it feels good to be on this side of things. Um, in terms of just like my relationship with alcohol, the first time I ever drank, I was 13. I remember I was with my cousin who's five years older than me. So she was in high school at the time. And we were kind of like in a space where I always, I guess, look, looked older than I really was. At, even at 13, mm -hmm. I was very mature for my age or so I thought. And so with her being my older cousin, she was looking out for me in the sense that like she made sure nothing happened to me. But when I drank for the first time, I also blacked out. So I don't really have a clear, um, a clear understanding even what happened that night um, I first drank. But I just know that the first taste of alcohol I, got, I had in my system, I knew it was going to be a problem. Like maybe my conscious brain at that time didn't realize it was going to be a problem, but I subconsciously or unconsciously recognized that this was something that I enjoyed far too much. It was already like this really dangerous relationship blossoming because I recognized that I had very limited control over the intake of it. I just wanted more mm. and more. And then I also felt like it turned me on. So it like made me feel more alive. It made me feel more, um, yeah, just more alive. Like it was like a switch that turned on and I, I felt like, I was invincible in many respects, which, you know, at 13 years old, that can be dangerous. But um, so, yeah, that was the first time I ever got drunk. Then I was a moderate drinker, I'll say. Like when I say moderate, I wasn't drinking very often between the ages of 13 to 18. There were various points in my life where, yeah, I'd be at a party, say in high school and alcohol would be present. But funny enough, I wasn't the person really seeking out the drinking. It was sort of like it was there. I would drink it. But like at that point, I think like it just wasn't my focus. I'm going to be honest. Like I take it or leave it. Yeah, I could take it or leave it. I was never the person like, oh, like let's go buy a bottle. Like not a follower per se, but definitely not a leader. Like I was just going with the flow. Okay. Um, it wasn't until I got to college really where I, I found out that alcohol was really a problem for me. So when I got to college, this was my first real sense of freedom, like many people. So I'm away from being at home. And I think like the circle of people that I found myself amongst my friends, like newfound friends I had, we were all on the same level in terms of like always looking for the party, always wanting to turn up, always trying to push the envelope. So it wasn't just like we were drinking, but we were excessively drinking, binge drinking. So that very like traditional sense of like, uh, you know, college culture, drinking, mm -hmm. binge drinking, partying, tailgating, going to the bars, that kind of thing that very much took on my persona. And I became known, known as the girl who 
like to have a good time. Not only did she like to have a good time, but she was going to be the person that was bringing the main source of entertainment for the night. Okay. So I would be like- You were the fun friend. I was the fun friend. Like the friend that had no boundaries, the friend that was going to, you know, create a scene or definitely be the source, like I said, source of entertainment and be like the person that had the most Center of attention. Very much so. And once again, that sense of alcohol turning me on was- happening like I felt like you know as soon as I started drinking I had no filter I also had no threshold I mean I had a threshold like I would cross over into a state of blackout drunk but the mm-hmm. threshold being like I didn't have an I didn't have that like button that said okay maybe you need to slow down maybe you need to let's mix it pace water. yourself yeah let's <laughs> let's drink water let's pace yourself no I was just throw caution to the wind let's go 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 mm-hmm. um So I operated like this for like the first couple of years of college. And then my father unexpectedly passed away. So, you know, this was traumatic for me. And it was the first time in my life where I I felt like something really traumatic happened, if I'm being honest. Like, I had things happen in childhood, but like, this was just something that I was not equipped to handle at the time. And it's like, who is equipped to handle death? But I think the added element of surprise was just really heartbreaking for me. Mm -hmm. And so this is where there was a big shift. Like, so I went from being the fun friend, as we talked about, the person that's bringing the party, the person that's going to make you laugh and like, just be wild and crazy and carefree to being wild and crazy and carefree, but in a reckless, dangerous Mm -hmm. way. I became the person that was more easily angered. And I would like, I can't tell you how many times I've destroyed bathrooms, like, you know, just had a full on breakdown. And so I kept drinking because that was already what I'd known. I kept drinking because I probably had a physical dependence at that point in time to alcohol, And it was just habitual. But then I really started to drink. This is the first time where I started to drink to mask, to really, um, to really numb myself and self-medicate. Was it kind of like your main coping mechanism at the time? Was just numb out? 100% numb out. I didn't want to feel, I'd wake up. Um, So around this time too, I had lost an exorbitant amount of weight, probably lost like 50, 60 pounds. And so I wasn't like fat to begin with, but I had some extra weight when I went to college, they say the freshman 15, I was probably like the freshman 25. Like I gained quite a bit of weight my freshman year. I was already kind of thick, we'll say thick um, to begin with. And then when my father died, I think to regain a sense of control, which control has been prevalent as a theme in my life from the beginning, I like to be in control. And I think me getting drunk was like my way of releasing control and being like, oh, I can just like forget and just go with the flow. Cause that's hard for me to do sometimes coupled with the idea that like, okay, my father died. I had zero control over that. It caused me to want to seek out control. And the way I did that as many people who have disordered eating um, mm-hmm. is controlling the intake of calories and controlling how much I drank. So I lost like 50, 60 pounds in like a two to three month span, a very short amount of time. And then that's when you start getting compliments. So it was like on the outside, everything looked like it was okay. Like people, unless you knew me, um, like really knew me, like you were in my close circle, you would just say like, oh, Nadine has lost this weight. Like she, I was really active on campus. I was somehow holding it together in my classes for the most part. I was still partying and still on the scene, but behind closed doors, I was restricting food. I was 
depressed. I was drinking myself into a state of oblivion most nights. And I was really angry. I was, I remember that would be probably the most presiding feeling was anger. I was just so pissed off at the world. And yeah, that was sort of how I was operating for the latter two years of college until graduation. Wow. Well, I'm so sorry to hear about the loss of your father. That is shocking and hard at any age. I can't even imagine during a time when you're already trying to figure out who you are starting college, a fresh life. Were you in a new city away from your family? Yeah. So I was in Tallahassee, Florida. My family at the time was in South Florida. So it's about an eight hour drive. Mm -hmm. Florida is a really long state and it's a college town. So like it was just three big schools in a very small town. So everything was catered to that party, um, party lifestyle. We hear that so much. I've had other guests on the show too talk about how they got drunk at a young age, kind of experimented throughout high school. It was nothing to write home about. And then as soon as they entered their college years, they have that separation from their family and they're trying to discover who they are. They really dive into this drinking culture. It's something exactly. that I never really experienced. I never went to college or university away from home but I did move to a new city away from my family at the age Mm. of 18 so and then worked in the restaurant industry so kind of like the same yep just submerged in alcohol absolutely yeah it was seeping from my pores (laughs) just completely I was drunk at graduation funny enough so one of the most at that time would have been the biggest day of my life and I'm wasted in the crowd. But the th- funny enough, everyone I knew really was also drunk. And yeah. yeah, my family's in the crowd, like cheering for me. And I I could care less about their presence um, there. In fact, the whole weekend, I, I remember like prioritizing partying. Like I was on a flyer, you know, for like a, the biggest party of the graduation <laughs> batch. And I'm like, you see this flyer? Like I'm yeah. on it. Like I, need You're to- more proud of that than your degree. <laughs> exactly. Literally, I was more proud of that. And I was just like, I felt bad. Now I feel bad in retrospect. Like I did not give them the time. I was very much focused Mm -hmm. on my partying and my graduation. It's like, thanks for coming. Bye. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Bye. I have a lot of alcohol (laughs) to drink now, Mm -hmm. but I do feel like that is, it can be a very like quote unquote normal experience and that it's like, it is a party. It's a celebration. And so I can totally understand how you would mark the day that way. Yeah. So was there one like large defining moment that made you realize, okay, I need to change my relationship with alcohol. I need to get sober. Or what was that process like for you? Um, I wouldn't say there was one defining moment. I'm going to take this from a guest I had on my show who calls it, describes it like ripples. Mm -hmm. Like um, there were little like ripple, like in the greater pool of life, we'll say, that kept happening where I should have noticed that there was a change or that these were significant um, events happening that should be addressed. But instead, once again, going with the theme of me numbing, using alcohol to numb, it was easy to sort of like be tone deaf to the situation because I'm so focused on just getting my next fix of alcohol drinking. So I'll I'll give you like, I'll fill in some gaps. So basically I graduate and moved to New York shortly thereafter. And New York was just next level, right? So like college basically was the (laughs) pregame. So when I get to, when I got to New York, I'm young. I have more disposable income. I'm in a big city and I have, you know, dreams, dreams of, 
being at the time I think I wanted to be like the black Carrie Bradshaw like that was like my idea of like being in New York I was teaching um but I was teaching at a school that was like really just miserable like for me as a young professional like I experienced bullying in that work environment because of the administration and like the bureaucracy behind being a new teacher at a school they definitely abuse you this is not uncommon to just me so I was really stressed out from work essentially at the time I was living with a girl who was my first sober encounter like I'd never met a sober girl my age before and so I met her through the program I did to become a teacher and we decided to live together because we hit it off but Mm -hmm. after we moved in together there was some some noticeable differences in our lifestyle. So being sober, she would still come out with me, which was nice. And it was my, like I said, my first introduction to like a sober person, but I started to feel insecure. I started to feel attacked in many respects because, you know, after our first year of living together, there were a couple instances where, you know, I'd be drunk and maybe say something or do something that she didn't like she would address it and I would push back if I'm being quite frank. I didn't want to hear that she thought I had a problem. She would try and have like interventions with me, you know, like taking out the recycling bin and kind of clanking the bottles together and being like, hey girl, I, like, did you drink all of these? And, and it's like, obviously I drank all of them. It's kind like, of passive aggressive. Like, like it's it not was, really helpful. <laughs> it wasn't helpful. I wasn't ready to hear it. And especially from someone who, like her, who was sober. And I'm just like, you're judgmental, you're hypercritical. And why should I listen to you? You don't even drink. So um, that was a, a kind of like a, a point of conflict towards the end of the relationship. And once again, going with this idea that AUD, alcohol use disorder is a spectrum. There were points in my 20s where I drank less, but mostly drank a lot. Um, going back to the low point. So the I can't think of one specific time, but I'll address something that I don't think I've said on air before. So I lived in Mexico during the pandemic and there was one point where I was in Tulum and so it's a, it's a two, it's a two part rock bottom, I'll call it. Um, It's not really like a full rock bottom, but like they, they go hand in hand. So I'm in Tulum after three weeks of partying and this is when Mexico had recently opened its borders. So people from all over the world are there because it's the only place you can really go. Lots of influencers, lots of scammers, that kind of vibe, just trying to set the tone and set the scene for people. Lots of scammers. Yeah, you know, come on, scammers. I, maybe because I grew up in Miami, like I know a lot of scammers. Oh my God. You know okay. scammers? I don't I'm not I know a, any. Oh, that's what they want you to think. <laughs> that's what they want. Oh, anyway, no. I, I shouldn't profile these people. I don't know if, if they're really okay. scammers, but like most likely, yeah. Um, think like, what's that thing that show where it was like, like, I'm in danger. I have emergency. Like that scammer guy that was like getting girls to like, Oh, the Tinder swindler. Yeah. The Tinder swindler. Think (sighs) that like, you know, like I have my enemies are after me. Okay. Okay. Like lots of guys who have a lot of money. Maybe they, I, I, you can cut that part out. I don't know if it makes sense. to. (laughs) I'm for sure leaving it in. (laughs) So there are scammers there too. There's just like a very people from varying walks of life, put it that way. Okay. So a lot of partying. And if people have not been to Tulum, um, have you been to Tulum before? I have. Okay. What was your experience like before I, I share was, mine? Well, 
I was still drinking at the time. Um, I lost my favorite designer sunglasses, but mm. I was not drinking that day. But that was a low light of the trip. And then wait, that's I... the low light. <laughs> that's the <laughs> low light. Losing your very... glasses. Oh, girl. <laughs> they were my favorite Celine sunglasses. Okay. I knew that. How did I know they were emotional. Celine? I knew they were Celine. Were they white? No, they were black. Okay, oh, they but they were okay, perfect. Okay. Um, and then one night I did get like outrageously like shit faced at that bar. I think it's called like Azulik. Um, and it's kind yep. of got the bird nest like mm -hmm. on the rooftop. That that's you like the in. most famous. Yeah, that's like the quintessential spot. And outside of that is where you see like the face of the girl. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, like exactly. The big, yeah. Mm -hmm. So overall, it was fun. I was definitely. Um, it was right before COVID and I was like on the heels of like coming out of a relationship that I didn't feel very good about myself. So I feel like I was just like not in the place like mentally, physically, emotionally. So and it was a friend's 30th birthday. Okay. And yeah, I was drinking more than I should have been like everything ended up being fine. But there was definitely just like I didn't leave the trip feeling good about the overall experience. Tulum itself, beautiful, fun. We had a great Airbnb we stayed at. The beach was amazing. But yeah, I feel like my mindset wasn't really in the place it needed to be to enjoy it to the full potential because I feel like it can also be like a holistic paradise there. It's okay. That's what I thought it was going to be, but I must have not known who I was. Like I must have like forgotten who the hell I was. Like because when I signed up to go, like to your point, I was like, yeah, it's going to be a wellness trip. Like. You know, COVID has everyone freaked out. I want to get my mind right by the beach. I'm going to go to Cenotes. I'm going to like yeah. work out. I'm going to like hang by the beach, do like the bohemian chic thing. Yeah, I didn't do any of that. I I got to Tulum and it was, maybe it was more exasperated being like the party scene being that everything was shut down for yeah, an extended period of time. I think that's just what it's like there. <laughs> but I think it's, I, I was going to say, I think that's just what it's like there. I, I don't. Yeah. I Okay. So similar to you, I wasn't in the right headspace when I got there. I was chasing a guy who had friends own me that I was in, I thought I was in love with who I dated in COVID. And so I get to Tulum around the same, same time that he gets to Tulum. We have a lot of mutual friends. And so we're hanging out around each other a lot. I literally see this man hook up with tons of different girls. Like a lot of them are, this is not to hate on any of any girls that have work done, but basically girls who did not look like me, like everything right. plastic. Like I felt very insecure about myself. I think that's why I always highlight with like influencer type models, like very much just like felt like a fish out of water. I had also went there thinking it was going to be a wellness trip, like you mentioned. So I didn't mm. bring anything really cute. Like had I known what it was going to be, I think I would have survived. I would have packed differently. Yeah. I yeah. was like wearing like white t-shirt shorts, like, oh, which no. it could yeah. be that, but like, I didn't realize like, no, people are dressed, like people are wearing makeup, like all the whole nine. So I get there and I'm upset. Like one half of me is like really preoccupied with this guy, right? Like rejection and having to swallow the hard pill of he doesn't want to be with you and seeing him live in action, hooking up with different girls. And then the other half of me was in still in like party mode. So like COVID really, really like just exasperated my drinking. Like I was drinking more often. This is where it's like, there's not much to do. So, you know, for me, it was wine. I was drinking wine daily. Yeah. I get to Tulum and now 
the world is my oyster because you go to restaurants broad daylight in Tulum and there's someone posted like it's their station they're posted up outside of the bathroom and they're like coke molly weed and like I'm just here to like use the bathroom and wash my hands and I'm being solicited for drugs it's really hard to do for someone like me who has an addict brain Mm -hmm. so there was that element coupled with like even like you go to the pharmacy I've never really been into taking pills but I have friends who are on that so like you can like without a prescription buy all the things right like it's just just like it's so available so I was in Tulum for like three four weeks and I was just partying every single day you were there for that long I thought I was gonna like live there for like oh my god I felt like I could live there after I left too I was like that is home uh, yeah, like I was like this. Well, when I went there, I was like, yeah, I'm going to live here. And then the first like week or so, I'm like, yeah, this is great. This is home. But then I myself was partying hard every day, like not just drinking every day, but doing drugs and literally partying. Mm-hmm. And so I one day I remember went to um, Casa Malca, which I think is the former mansion of Pablo Escobar. Yeah, that's been converted into like a hotel and like a restaurant. So I'm with friends. I'm high off of Coke. I'm drinking, living my best life. My disordered eating really kicked in hard here too, because I felt really insecure about how I look compared to everyone else. So I wasn't eating and I was just like coked out of my mind and drunk as fuck. And I remembered my friends left even. And like, I'm very like independent when I'm drunk. Like I'm the type of person like you go out with me and if I'm drinking like my friends will have to keep tabs on me like they're like where's Nadine somebody always has to clock yeah. where she is because I'm just like off talking to this person talking to that person so I meet this couple from Dallas and she was gorgeous she was like a stripper he was not so cute clearly her sponsor and it's a situation where like they're not like they've invited me in like I have drugs they want drugs we're like hanging out they're paying for my drinks I'm having a great time and my naive mind like I tell this story to people and like how did you not know this and I'm like I just didn't know that they wanted to have a threesome with you yes obviously have I told you the story before no but I am clued into reality (laughs) oh I didn't know I was literally like yeah we're gonna go to dinner but we're gonna change first come back to the room like we'll change and then we'll go to dinner I'm like okay (laughs) next thing I know yeah it's exactly what you said they wanted to have a threesome and I like was just like freaked out I was like no I can't do it and so at that point also like around that time they had given me was it acid or it was either acid or it was either I think it was a tab yeah I think it was acid and so then it like I can't like my heart is get my way. Yeah, I can't. I, so, so imagine I haven't eaten. I'm drunk. I've been doing coke all day, and now I just took a tab. So I like the world is spinning on its axis. Like I leave. I remember when they were like trying to get me to like hook up, and I was just like no. Like I was just like grabbing stuff, and I left. And I remembered like being outside and walking to the beach because that's all I could do is like walk straight and I just walked to the beach and I sat down in the sand looked up at the stars and I I like prayed to God which I hadn't done in years and I was literally like oh my god please if you just help me because I knew something was broken I knew something was going on with me I was like if you can just help me out like like give me a sign give me an answer I promise you I will change 
And I didn't even realize what that change was. Like even in saying that, like I didn't know what I meant, but I knew that like I needed, I needed to do something different. Like this was not sustainable. Here I am having heart palpitations. My heart is racing. I'm like, my hands are clammy. You're in another country. You're by yourself. Like you're not physically safe. I'm not physically safe. So I, I don't even know how I got home, but I remembered like when I woke up the next day, I had somehow in my like drunken stupor booked a flight to Mexico city. I'm big on signs. I remember that week, like in various conversations, like just meeting random people, like they had mentioned Mexico city to me. And so I think that's probably what was going on. Like I was just like flight Mexico city. So like yeah, literally the next day possible. I had to like go. And I remember I gave up my flight away. Yes. Yes. Like I was like dead ass serious. Like I was like, I'm getting out of here. Um, and so like, I was just like broken. I was just like constantly comparing myself to all of these, all of these women, seeing them, like this guy I thought I loved with them and like, ah, oh, just like, oh, just in such yeah. a bad headspace. And so I left, got to Mexico city. And I remembered at the time I had this Spanish tutor that I met with remotely and her name is Lorena. And she had been hinting to me sometimes that like she was worried about my drinking. I would like, especially in Tulum, like I would miss so many of our appointments and like I, she would see me and she's like, you look sick. Like you don't look well. And I was just like, "Mm, whatever. Like (laughs) I was hungover. I'd be like either hungover or like, just, yeah, just not flourishing. And so she was like, why don't you try taking a break from alcohol? And I was like, okay, you know what? Like, you're right. Like I'm in a new city now in Mexico city. I'm going to take a break. Um, that last in Mexico city, you went by yourself. I was totally by myself. I did not know a soul. So in Tulum, I knew people. Like for, I had friends that were there, but they were on the same tip as me. So like everyone was partying. So even though I was with people, I felt really alone. It was like yeah. weird. Like we had this common thread, very low b- vibrations, like party, party, party. Um, and then there was no real like connection happening. I realized that now, then I didn't. Um, but yeah, so I go to, go to Mexico city. And even though I was totally alone, I actually felt more at peace. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like I had like pressure to like meet people, to go out, to like perform, perform. Exactly. Like I could just be content with me. Um, and so I took that lasted for like two weeks. (laughs) Um, the not drinking lasted for four days, the not partying lasted for two weeks. Um, I got bored. I don't know. I, I guess you can't outrun yourself. And I proved that to be true because I started going out by myself. I was searching for connection. And I thought the way to do that was to party because that's what I knew. I was good at that. And I went out a few times. I was going on dates. And then I met like a core group of friends who introduced me to an entirely different world. Like, Mexican high society, like very different. Like, I don't know how I even got that. It was, it was so intriguing. Like, I feel like that was like one of the the best lives I've lived. Like, it was so fun to be be in that very different culture and immersed with very different people. But yeah, it was fun. But then I was right back at it. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing, the difference, this is when I started to pick up that maybe it was more me than I, than other people. Maybe I, maybe I can't blame other people for my habits and my decision my decision-making process because so the girls I'll say like the, the women that I had met that were super cool, my age, similar backgrounds, like fun. Um, they would party, they would have a good time, 
but I'm the only person doing lines. <laughs> I'm the only yeah. person doing like, you know, like I'll, it's kind of taboo actually from like the, so it, it can be like a misogynistic culture still like Mexico. So like there's this element of muchis machismo like machismism I don't know if that's a word but like with the men so the women even though like they're partying and stuff like they're not doing everything that the guys mm-hmm. do for the most part like this is a blanket statement generalization yeah. but you get what I'm saying so like it was like everyone was drinking doing maybe like chocolate shrooms but no one was like partying going going hard the way I was with I the guys like chocolate shrooms are still hard like that is a they night it- you have a night ahead of you Chocoongos, maybe like my threshold was just so high at that point. Like, no, or it's that's, like you're they're microdosing it, so it's more of just like an enhanced experience. Yeah, like you can buy like a chocolate bar. I hope this is not triggering for people, but like, yeah, you buy like a chocolate bar with like equal parts squares, mm. almost like an edible, and then you like mm. can you can you can dictate how much you want to take, so sure. you can decide how much you want to feel. I would always want to max it out. Yeah. It was always a cocktail of different things with me. And that's the thing about alcohol. Like when I think about the most dangerous drug for me, it is alcohol. Because although I've experimented with other things, I would not be willing to do so if my my threshold wasn't lowered, if I, if I wasn't already inebriated. Like yeah. when I am drunk, I'm willing to do pretty much anything. And that's the problem. I feel the same way. It's like people say that weed is the gateway drug, but it's alcohol. Like I never would have smoked weed if I didn't try drinking. I never would have tried Coke if I wasn't drinking. Same. It it totally is the gateway. So that was for me, like always just taking it to the next level. I also felt like my reputation was being tarnished. Like I had just been like ushered into this friend group and I'm always the one that's like doing the most. And my my second rock bottom, so this is what I was saying, which was like in connection to being on the beach in Tulum, mm-hmm. was I went on like a 24 hour plus bender. So it started out like any other night. <laughs> I, <laughs> my friend Kim, shout out to Kim. She's actually going to Berlin with me in a few weeks. Hi, Kim. So she's seen it all. But um, we, she came over. And we pre-gamed. I had, of course, alcohol. I was really big into mezcal, of course, wine. Then this guy came over to like, he had done Reiki on me. And he was kind of just like a guy that had MDMA that I knew would give to me for free, that kind of thing. So he came over and it was like, he was almost like, oh, like, what bargain do you want? Like, he's like, almost like Burning Man. He's like, "I'll, I'll give you these pills for, it wasn't pills. We crushed, it was pills. We crushed them and we we did Oh my god. Oh my god. Hearing myself, it just sounds so crazy. I'm like, it wasn't quite a pill. Yes, it was. It was a pill that I crushed. So it started out like, yeah, pre-gaming, pretty minimal. That's pretty like low-key. Like I have a good buzz going, get to the club and see everyone that like I just described before, like this whole friend circle. Like they pretty pretty much bought out all the booths. So we're just like hopping in from one booth to the next. I'm inhaling things that I don't even know what it is. Like I literally I'm inhaling like a substance I don't even know what it is like a popper is it a popper I don't know so yeah so like I'm doing a cocktail of things and I go back to this guy's place and he was really no no the Reiki guys he was just dropping off the goods he didn't make it out with us um this is like wasn't invited he wasn't invited long story short um and so Kim and I would go to the club we see all of these people that we that I knew from before And one guy in particular was really wealthy. Apparently he lived like a double life. Like 
he had like a really conservative Jewish background in Mexico. So there was one side of him that was like almost orthodox, but then there was this other side of him that was completely separate from that life. And like everyone knew him as like this big party guy. And he like took me under his wing and we went back to his place, one of his places and just like, like partied like nobody's business for 24 hours. Like I didn't stop partying until like maybe like the release. So like if that was say I get to the club at like 2 a.m., maybe before that 1 a.m., I go back to his place and I don't go home the next day until 10 p.m. So it was just like over 24 hours of going very hard. My friend was really, one particular friend was really concerned about me. He kept calling me and I was just like, why do you keep calling me? He's like, I'm checking on you. Like, why are you still at these people's house? Like, what are you doing? It's 9 a.m. It's like 2 p.m. It's like, yeah, I'm like, I'm, I'm having a good time. And I wasn't like, I was completely objectified in that situation. I remember leaving and this is my low point. Um, so this is like the first, and just say, uh, I won't say the first, this is like the first time really that I felt like I didn't want to be here anymore. Like I just legit was so depressed and a part of it is physical. It was probably the come down from like all of the drugs, but I just couldn't stop crying. And I am someone who I think maybe because of my father's passing, like I cried so much in that period of my life. I went a whole like eight years. And this is like, I tell people this, they think I'm lying. Like I went a whole eight years without crying. Um, I think it was just like a vault and I opened it and like, it was floodgates. Like I could not stop crying. I was so disappointed in myself. I, I just felt so low. Um, and I told my therapist finally, and that was the beginning, the the beginning, cause it was a process afterwards, mm-hmm. but that was the beginning of me quitting, um, drinking or trying to moderate my drinking, I should say. Um, because I never wanted to feel like that again. I felt used. I felt like, yeah, I just felt like garbage. Like I, I cannot explain it. I, I literally felt worthless and I felt like nobody loved me. And these are lies, right? This is, this voice is not really my voice, but this is what I'm telling myself. Like you are worthless. Like nobody wants you. You were partying with this married man. Cause he was married. Right. At the time I didn't know that, but like when I did know it, the following day when the same friend I went out with came over and was like, oh, and she was wearing brand new clothes because she went home and showered, came yeah. to like this day party, day party, air quoting. Um, it's just a continuation. But, you know, she then tells me he's married and I'm still over there entertaining him like nobody's business. So I just felt really low about myself. And I I felt like I'd forgone all of my values. All of the things I said I wasn't going to do clearly didn't matter when I was actually being tested. Well, thank you for sharing that. As much as like, we're laughing, going through the story, like it's nice that you can look back on it and laugh at parts, but also know the significance of that moment. Like you literally like went through hell. And I know that feeling, the come down the next morning from partying and doing more drugs than you had any business doing. And like, there is no worse feeling in the world than that dread and that shame and that hatred that you feel the next day. And like, for me, that's a feeling that I can never feel again because- Never. I can never go back to that feeling. It, but yeah, so it's more of like an emotional, like rock bottom in those moments when 
It's like you didn't lose your job, you didn't lose your car, like you were still functioning, like in your life, like kind of high functioning. But it's that emotional rock bottom of like, why am I doing this to myself? Why do I feel like I deserve to feel like this? And like, what can change? And it's so hard to look into the future. And like, yeah, in that moment, would you ever imagine you being here now having a sober podcast? Never, ever. Like, I, I think some people still think I'm bullshitting. <laughs> They're like, Nadine, sober? <laughs> like, what? Yeah. They're waiting for the the job. They're like, yeah, like, I can't wait. I can't believe it. But that's living testimony right there. Like, if I can do it, like, anyone can do it. I shouldn't say that. But, like, I genuinely think out of my friend group, as much as everyone was partying, like, I had, I was deemed the the one that was, like, almost helpless. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like, to your point, I was functional, right? Like, I I had, on paper, everything seemed like it was okay. Um, I just, like, was super... Yeah. broken I, I I see that now I didn't see it then but yeah yeah I feel like the same way like in my group of friends like people would drink people would party but there was something different about me like the way I would act the way I would never be able to stop and I feel like probably because a lot of the things that I battled inside like that came out in my drinking and my partying and it was like that escape from all of those things yeah. that I feel like a lot of the times like you can't really face it until you face like the drinking like you have to battle them both at the same time do you think for you it was escapism mainly a hundred percent a hundred percent I was running and running and running and I yeah like I had some things like in my childhood and in my teen years that I never fully like coped with or dealt with and a lot of abandonment issues and like that feeling of like unworthiness, never being good enough that if I can be party Keisha, like fun Keisha, then everybody's going to love me. Everybody's going to want to be around me. I had so many quote unquote friends like during my early twenties, but they were just people that I would party with. Like never, if I had something going on in my life, would I pick up the phone and call those people? Right. So yeah. yeah, for me, it was definitely escapism until it turned into like, just like coping. Like now this is like my baseline of how Absolutely. I exist in the world. Yeah. I feel similar. I do. And so how long have you been alcohol free now? I have been alcohol free since July 5th, 2021. I don't know how much that it's a year in. A year and a half, at least. It's definitely been a year and a half. I Yeah, I just stopped counting, like, the specific days. But I'm really looking forward to two years. Um, Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. It's been really, really special. It feels good. I think this is the best I've felt in my sobriety. I truly think it gets better. But I also remind people that it's not a linear process like you know like yeah. there are days when I feel better than other days and sobriety does not fix everything but it has completely changed my life for the better so yeah. I'll take it any day and like it's funny when I recall those moments as described before that day when I finally went home from that like 24 hours plus of drinking and using and just like not feeling adequate like I just didn't feel adequate as a human like I I legitimately felt like I was the worst person on planet earth and of course that is you know an exaggeration and that's not true at all but at the same time like you couldn't have told me any differently in that moment and the physical the physical and the physiological impact it had and of course like the social emotional piece like was 
just so broken that I feel like if I continued on that path, I don't know where I'd be right now, but it wouldn't obviously wouldn't be on the sobriety podcast, but I don't even think like, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'd be here. Like I legitimately don't know yeah. because the compromising, I, I just say this because I hope I'm not glossing it over details. Like sometimes I do think that like, I still go into this mode of like wanting to shield and protect this, like, I don't know. I don't know if it's reputation per se, because I don't care about that anymore, like to the extent I did before. I, I still think that like a piece of me is still still minimizing the experience because there were there were times when like I, I could have been dead. Like I should have been dead. Yeah. Like I put myself in really fucked up situations and trusted my life um in the hands of people that like I just met or didn't know mm-hmm. and it's because I didn't love myself like that's just really what it comes down to I didn't love myself because of shit that I'd gone through and because of the way I felt about myself so yeah yeah, yeah well I'm so happy that you are here today yeah me too <laughs> <laughs> that you're living such a beautiful life like you have such an amazing life in New York you are constantly traveling seeing the world to your beautiful sober eyes and so i would love to dive into that a little bit i know that you've previously told me the story of your first sober vacation when you were sober from alcohol so if people want to hear that story you're going to have to go back to was it our taboo topics in sobriety Ooh, yeah you have a good memory it was taboo topics in sobriety That's where this week's episode will end, and I will be releasing the second half of my conversation with Nadine next Wednesday. In the meantime, I encourage you to go back and listen to episode 31, Taboo Topics in Sobriety. This is where Nadine shares the story of her first solo sober trip when she's fully sober from alcohol, but experimenting with the idea of being Cali sober. We talk about addiction transfer, And it's just a chance to get to know her a little bit deeper before we move into the second half of our conversation, which is more focused around sober travel. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next week. This is Keisha signing off on another episode of Done With Debauchery. If you liked what you heard, please share and subscribe. You can also find me at donewithdebauchery.com or follow along on Instagram at Done With Debauchery. Thanks for listening.